Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 47 of the Flying Free Podcast. Happy New Year. It's January 1st today, and I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. Today I have with me Sarah, Kim, Becky, and Rachel, and we are going to be talking about setting goals and planning for the new year, in spite of the fact that we might still be dealing with someone who has dysfunctional behaviors in our life. So how do you take back control of the things that you can control while letting go of the things that you can't? That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's get started. Okay. Welcome to this podcast episode, beautiful ladies. I'm so excited that we're all, that we can all, there's five of us that got together today. This is super exciting. And so what we're going to be talking about today is, um, <laughs> we, you, okay, those of you who are listening, we actually got together before we pressed the record button and we were going around talking about what we wanted to share. And this is, we decided to just press record because there, we're going to, we might go all over the place, but this is January 1st. We we want to all wish you a happy new year. And we, every single one of the women on this podcast today have come out of an abusive relationship and are either remarried or are getting remarried. So we've got three that are remarried and two are um, engaged. And we have some things that we want to share with you about when we were in our uh, abusive relationships and how we viewed going into a brand new year. You like, we think of the brand new year as being, oh, this is a new, a new chapter in my life. And on the one hand, you can feel like it's a new chapter of my life and I can already see how it reads. It's going to read exactly like all of the other chapters. And I don't feel motivated. I don't feel excited. In fact, I'm depressed. I used to think, oh my word, it's a new year. Who's going to die this year? I mean, that's how morbid I was. I just, I had no hope. I just was waiting for all the different shoes to fall. And it was depressing. It really was. And plus we, uh, women in abusive relationships don't feel like they have a lot of control. And even when you're divorced, you often feel like many of your options have been stripped from you. And so a new year can feel very overwhelming um, as well as constricting. So there's all of these um, just kind of conflicting things that are going on in your mind and in your emotions and in your thoughts. So I thought we'd do an episode with, with these women and talk about our own experiences of facing a new year and maybe some of the tips or ways that we coped and, um, and then pass those ideas on to you. And hopefully it'll be encouraging and help you get off on the right foot for this brand new year, 2020. Okay, so who wants to start? We probably should establish this at the beginning. Who wants to start? Becky, you're kind of, I know you're the <laughs> planner extraordinaire. So let's... I was going to say, have Becky start. Yeah, let's start I'm with you. the same thing. Okay, so I'm a little bit opposite of Natalie. When the new year would come around, I was always glass half full. So no matter how bad the previous year was by golly, this year's going to be better. And I'm just going to forget about how bad everything is. And I'm going to press forward with everything in me to make it better. But the problem is it never got better. 
Um, and I would even tell the kids, um, in the specific things that were really hard, I would say to them, I know next year is going to be better. And it never was. And, and now I'm remarried to a good man. And I remember saying this year, first of all, I don't say next year is going to be better. I don't have to because it's just good. Um, but uh, I looked at my husband like two weeks ago and I said, do you realize I don't have to say it's going to be better next year? Like it's just good as it is. And so that's just for anyone who wants hope that you can get there one day. Um, I had, I made a list of things that um, I had absolutely no control over uh, because my ex would, would take control. And, um, and then I had things that because of his control, it, it wasn't that I didn't have control over it. It was that the control I had weighed me down because the responsibility was so heavy. And so for me, um, I had no control of our finances. Um, I had an ex who wouldn't work and I was working 80, 90 hours a week to provide and he spent every penny. And so when I would tell the kids it'll be better next year, it was because they never got to see mom. Mom would always be at the computer. I worked from home, so I did get to see him, but I would work harder the next year. I would, you know, build another business or grow a business and we made more money and it was all gone. So, um, so <laughs> I'm going to say that didn't change until I got out. Um, actually, no, the last two years it did change because I started putting down some boundaries, but this also made my life even worse. Um, I cut him off of our company business accounts. I cut him off all my credit cards. I cut him off so that, and then I started taking the control back because if I'm going to have a sixth child essentially running rampant, I was just going to take the control I could take. So that's one thing I did. Um, and then that has gotten so much better since I divorced. Um, the, the other thing that I had control of, but that weighed me down was my weight. Um, I had five kids and I was a brisk 98 pounds after my fifth child. And he would still call me fat and ugly. And no matter how much I tried, I was never skinny enough. And at year 17, I just said, forget it. And so I stopped caring. And as you can see, I'm not 98 pounds anymore. I have a full figure <laughs> and <A> beautiful. Figure. <laughs> um, but I will tell you the weekend we spent at Kim's house, um, I realized something about myself and that was, and this is where I'm, this is how I'm going into next year. I am no longer, I used to always say, start with a goal, start with a goal. Once you have your goal in place, that's where you begin. But I think women who are coming out of abuse, we have like this extra step we have to take. And for me, it's determining why do I have the goal? Why do I want to lose weight? Why do I want to eat healthier? Why do I want to work less? Or why do I want to save more? Or why do I want to have the laundry and the socks done every week? They're, they're never a bad thing, but I was always doing it because I was walking on eggshells. I was appeasing an abuser. I was appeasing somebody else. Even in childhood, it was my parents. And so I, I don't know what, how this happened, but when I was sitting there in Kim's room downstairs when we were doing that, um, I think Facebook Live, it just hit me. I don't lose weight for myself. Since your weekend, I've lost 14 pounds. 
Wow. I know. Because I came home and I said, you know, and here my wonderful new husband, I just told him, I'm like, if you call me fat, I will lose weight. <laughs> because I was so used to appeasing everyone else and doing everything for everyone else. So this time I just, I told him, I said, I just want you to know I'm going to start Whole30 again. And I said, it's not for you. It's not for the kids. It's for me. And I have never had an easier time of saying no to sugar and drinking lots of water and, and actually enjoying it um, wow. because I'm doing it for me and not some kind of selfish, you know, I'm going to go to the spa all day, self-care. I'm talking the self-care that most of us never, ever, ever were allowed to do. So I for just want to say, yeah, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I'm super happy for you. I am too. <laughs> I'm excited about next year because I feel like I finally have, I feel like I finally have control of it because I'm not doing it for somebody else. One thing I mentioned before we were talking, before we started, when us ladies were talking before we started the video, um, someone talked about healthy eating. And I know Becky was just sort of on that topic too, which congratulations, Becky, way to go. Um, I'm so glad you're doing that for you. Um, I talked about uh, one, one little step towards healthier eating, more so at home, and maybe helping your kids if you have kids with that, um, is when you get your groceries, when you get home from doing all the grocery shopping, unload them all. And um, I know it's a lot of time up front because just getting the groceries takes forever. But if you can cut up your vegetables and your fruits or wash them, cut them up. And then I put mine in nice glassware um, to avoid plastics. But then it's so easy then to just grab it for a healthy snack versus for me, if I've got bars or cookies on the counter, I will just eat that because it's easy and it's yummy. <laughs> right. But um, if you can just grab a quick healthy thing and then it's easier for your kids too. Um, Cause when they ask for snacks, I find that very irritating and annoying. So I don't know well, if any comes and, to. And even if for people who don't, have kids anymore their kids are all grown up and it's just them and their husband or them and maybe a teenager or something mm -hmm. that's a that's a great idea I I have to not buy snacks and stuff at the store I that's where that's where I say no is at the store then mm -hmm. I don't have to say no at home because I won't say no at home I just know myself <laughs> Me, I'm if sitting there I'm gonna eat it yeah but um if I don't have it but my problem is that I don't buy anything then. And then we don't have anything to eat. And then the kids say, we have nothing in the house. I know. <clears throat> I yeah. bake. So oh, that's hard. That, oh, that, that is hard. Stop baking. Hard for the wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I had a few other thoughts. Like, um, I know some goals, just a couple quick goals that some people have. Um, I, these I just threw out. I didn't really make steps for that, but just reading more, turning off the TV. Mm. I think that's a good one. Just trying to read a book every month. I know Sarah, you're going through the toxic people, when to walk away from toxic people. I've been reading that one. It's oh, that book is so good. It's so it is good. so good. Who's that by? <laughs> Gary Thomas. Gary Thomas. Oh, oh I have that book. Out. I've been reading that too. 
so I'm doing I'm doing a coaching group through it right now. I saw it's blowing everybody's mind. It's Um, amazing. So good. I'm so glad he wrote that book. Um, but if, if you're putting some of that good stuff into your, into your mind and your soul each month, you're just going to grow in, in ways you don't realize even. Um, can, I, and I, can I jump in with a tip right yeah. here about that? Cause some people say, well, I don't have time to read. Here's yeah. what I used to do. I, I, I didn't either. When I had tons of kids at home, I didn't, when, when do you read? But when I would lay in bed at night, I would read for about 10 or 15 minutes and it had two, two benefits. Number one, I would get through, two, I'd get through about two books a month doing, the, doing it that way. I'm a fast reader, but you could at least get through one book a month that way. And then number two, it made me sleepy and it, it concentrated my brain on something other than ruminating over all of the crap that I dealt with that day. It got me focused on something else. And then I get super, super sleepy and I go to sleep. Yeah. I did that for so years here, and years. I'm going to dovetail on that. One of the things that I keep reading about is that you put stuff in long-term memory. Your long-term memory files are most open just before you fall asleep. So like I've read about other homeschool moms who like have their kids go over their multiplication tables in bed as they're falling asleep. Like they'll have a chart on the wall by the kid's bed or something precisely because that's what files it into long-term memory. And then your brain files long-term memory into the short-term memory while you're sleeping in your brain files. So if you are listening, falling asleep, listening to scripture, listening to really good books being read out loud, that kind of stuff, it's going into your long-term memory where it can positively impact your thinking patterns. So that's another good reason to do that. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. This is great. Good stuff here. Okay. So Kim, keep going. Uh, one quick more goal, um, being on my phone less and present more, especially like with my kids, I don't want them to see me, you know, the hunched phone posture. <laughs> So it's just normal now. (laughs) Um, Or, you know, in the carpool line at school, I don't want to be on my phone when they get in the car. Um, Mm -hmm. Or with people, friends, if I'm I'm at dinner or lunch or whatever with friends, be there with them and leave the phone in in my purse or whatever. Um, That's just a quick kind of goal. But um, for decluttering, Natalie, you mentioned decluttering um, earlier, but... So when I was going through my divorce process, I eventually I got to the point I wanted to just get rid of stuff. And it feels, it felt so good to, we all just have so much clutter and and extra. So I went through, I, I started by doing like a drawer or a shelf or a closet Um, a room. And when you break it down into smaller areas, it really feels attainable and it feels good. And then it it kind of keeps rolling and it's a snowball. And eventually you'll get many spaces in your house decluttered. Um, It felt really good to go through my books and get rid of like all the marriage books. Yes. (laughs) Uh, the CDs, the marriage studies that I did, you know, for so many years, um, I threw all that away or, uh, so, so I would say, I got to look at my notes here. Oh, okay. And one, one way to do this, these are just practical things here, but 
I, if you, if you walk into your back entry and there's shoes laying everywhere that, that drives me crazy. That system that you have, which is kind of like no system isn't working. So find a way, and this is just an example, but find a way to work with the habits that your kids have. If you guys come in the door and the shoes just end up on the floor, stick a basket there, throw the shoes in the basket. At least it looks less cluttered that way or less, you know, messy. Um, I checked out some books at the library on, on how to declutter, you know, the Marie Kondo thing. That's big. Um, I think it's a really good concept to think, to just think of something. Does this bring me joy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do I use this? Have I used this in the last 12 months? If not get rid of it, just get rid of it. It feels so good to get rid of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you start small, you'll end up getting rid of big things like a husband. (laughs) I joked. I joked with my friends about that when I was decluttering. I said, yeah. (laughs) That's terrible. (laughs) That was so funny. Well, that was awesome. Oh my God. I think I talked about you a little bit or about this with you, Natalie, a little bit, but about your bedroom. Um, make it, especially if you're in the same marital home that you shared before, make it your own, make it your own space, your haven, um, repaint it. If you can paint, paint isn't too expensive, but it has such a big impact. Um, if you're able to get some new bedding, declutter your room, not only will decluttering it uh, give you more space, feel like more space, but mentally it's, it's getting rid of clutter in your mind almost too. When you walk yeah. into a home and it's pretty clean and tidy, you don't feel the burden when you walk into that same room that, Oh, there, I have to get rid of this and I have to fold this basket of laundry and you know, there's junk all over the floor. Mentally it, it just helps so much to, to relieve some of that. Um, I'm going to jump in and say one thing about the bedroom. Um, change where the furniture is located. Change where that bed is. Because then you walk in and you're not, it's, those memories don't trigger as much if that helps. That's a yeah. good point. And do the color in your room that you want or the bedding you want. What makes you happy? What brings you joy? Because it doesn't really matter anymore about anybody else. Um, I had someone, I had a client tell me this one time about certain things like from your marriage, from your, if if you're going through the divorce process or whatever, from your previous relationship, if there's certain things that, that you don't care for or that bring memories, get rid of it, get rid of that. She called it negative energy. And, um, that just stuck with me. You don't want that in your in your life anymore. Just get rid of it. It may be painful, but it may be worth it too. Can uh, I jump in here really quick and just say something, a caveat. So for the, those of you who are listening, who are still with your partner and you're trying to figure out, you know, like ways to cope. Um, I'll, you, you probably can't change your bedroom cause you'd get into trouble if you did. Or so here's what I used to do when I lived with my um, ex-husband he was a hoarder. He still is. And he, um, 
did not like to declutter. Like (laughs) he would get really, really angry if I threw anything away. So decluttering was not something that I was allowed to do without, you know, repercussions. So what I did is I decided to create clean spaces where I spent most of my time. So I thought about it and I thought I spent most of my time in the kitchen. I spent most of my time in our bedroom and I spend most of the time in the, like the dining room area, maybe the living room. So I thought those areas I'm going to keep super clean. And so I wasn't allowed to, I did, I used to sneak some things into the garbage, but mine would go and dumpster dive and he would like find the things and then bring them back out and put them where they were. So I stopped doing that and I started putting everything. First of all, if it was something small, I'd put it in a basket and I started buying a basket Every few months, I'd have to buy a new basket and I'd put it in the basket and then I'd put it on his desk. So pretty soon his desk was full of all these different baskets, full of like just garbage. But then, so I didn't, cause I didn't care. This is his space. He, he gets to choose how he wants to live and he should be able to, right? I mean, everyone should be able to make their own choices about how they want to live in their space. <laughs> but, and so then the other space that I felt like I could put stuff was the garage. We had a three car garage and we had a huge storage room in the basement. But even if you have a small storage room, just throw it in there or throw it in a closet, start making your clean spaces and your hoarder spaces and make them very, very separate from each other. And so by the time I divorced mine and I moved out of that home, he's still living in that home. I left everything. I only took my things that I had bought for myself that I loved, that gave me joy, that were mine. I took those and I left everything behind. And that was a really good feeling. But it's, you know, right now that, that, that he lives in a three car garage and no cars can be parked in there. There's no room for any cars. So that's just one of the things that you can do. Find spaces for the junk if you can't get rid of it and create your own clean spaces. And even your bedroom, even though you share it with him, um, if he has particular taste, then you need to, you know, you probably have to go along with that. But you can still create a corner of your bedroom that's just yours, like maybe a little reading nook where you put a special chair and a little desk or, you know, something like that. Just find spaces in the house that you can make just completely yours. All right. Sorry about that. I just, I just wanted to give a caveat because... Thank you. Yes. Mine was a hoarder too. I don't, I wonder if that's a symptom, but yeah. Anybody else have a hoarder? A little bit. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Mine was very obsessed with his stuff and would get really upset if anything was touched with his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Mine, mine was definitely not a hoarder. He was more of a Nick who was, would fly off the handle if there were any kids toys left on the floor in the house looked like it had been lived in by an actual family um, in his absence. Um, But he was super, super particular about his things and he had more clothes and shoes than me. So, yeah. Oh, mine definitely had more. I had 4% of the closet. He had 96%. And in some of our homes, it was a big closet <laughs> and I still had 4%. And if we had dressers, he got all the drawers and I got one. 
And it was just, and I, you know, looking back, I could have taken back more drawers. I could have taken back more space. I just didn't know I could, if that makes sense. Like yeah. stand, even if you're still in it, stand up for yourself. You have just as much right to be happy as that other person. And I'm not going to say anything ugly about them, but that other person. (laughs) Right. Well, and too, you know, a lot of times we think, especially conservative Christian women believe that it's part of their duty to make that other person happy. So even though when I started standing up to mine and started doing things more my own way, um, he didn't like it, but see, we're talking about emotional abuse. He didn't like it. He would get mean um, and critical, but he wasn't going to, I knew he wasn't going to hit me. I knew he wasn't going to, you know, kick me out of the house or anything. He was just going to get really mad and make my life miserable for a while. And I started realizing, you know, that's worth, it's worth it actually. <laughs> exactly. It to get something, to do some things my way. Um, like I bought, I, I did buy a new bed sheet and he didn't like it. And, and I bought a new table and he didn't like it, but you know what? I, I love those things. They gave me pleasure, even though, cause by that time I was getting to the point where he doesn't really like anything I do anyway. So what does it matter? I might as well just make myself happy in some ways, you know? Do you feel like that because you were making those choices that that gave you more, um, strength to make the bigger choice like can we get rid of the last piece of junk it did it totally (laughs) built up my strength because I realized I can do this and on a fundamental level nothing really bad happens to me you know my fear of his being of his hatred toward me or his disgust of me I was really afraid of that because I desperately needed to be loved but I realized the more I started loving myself the less I needed him to love me the more I started validating myself, the less I needed his validation and support. So yeah. And that just gets better and better over time. I think that, and I think that's something that women can do definitely, even in the middle of living with their abuser and that not only they can do it, but they really should do it for their own well-being. Is this content resonating with you? I've written a book for women of faith and destructive relationships called, Is It Me? Making Sense of Your Confusing Marriage, A Christian Woman's Guide to Hidden Emotional and Spiritual Abuse. You can actually read reviews and find out more about my book on Amazon.com. It comes in paperback, Kindle, and Audible formats. I've also got a website specifically focused on helping women of faith find hope and healing. It's called flyingfreenow.com. I'll even give you the first three chapters of my book free if you want to hop on my mailing list at the top of my website. Those three chapters are going to help you figure out if your relationship is normal or destructive. Now, let's get back to our episode. For many women, oftentimes one of their goals is maybe new friendships. Um, Figuring that out, it can be kind of overwhelming and scary, at least for myself, um, the possible rejection, wondering if anyone even wants to be my friend, especially if you have been in an abusive relationship um, for so many years, you don't, you almost don't feel like you have enough value that for someone to want to be your friend or to want to spend time with you. Um, so you, you almost have to work through that on your own, but you are worth it. <laughs> you do have that value. Um, 
a few steps I wrote down and things I have done, especially over the last year, I, I decided I wanted to invest more of my time and energy in life giving relationships, because there are some, especially maybe more family and maybe some former friendships that just don't have that quality to them. Mm-hmm. where they bring life and joy into my life. So I don't want to cut ties with that, but um, I'm not going to invest so much time and energy into those people. Um, so if you think in your own life about the people in your life that are life-giving to you, try to initiate maybe um, lunch or dinner or coffee, wine, whatever time with them. And it's one, one, another way I found to do this is actually you, you almost have to make it a point to text them, email, call, whatever, and actually get a date on the calendar. Cause so often we say that, you know, we see someone to see them at church or school or whatever, and we should get together sometime. And I decided probably a year ago to, to follow through on that. So if you see them at school and then you say, we should get together, I would try to text them or email them the next day or maybe even later in that day within a few days and say, Hey, I would, it was great to chat with you. Um, would you like to do lunch sometime? And if they do, then throw out, throw, and then if they say, I would love that, throw out a few dates. I have, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays available. And so if you get it on the calendar, it actually happens. Yeah. And then if that goes well, and then, and then do it again and again. And, um, that's one of the biggest challenges is actually making it happen. I mm-hmm. felt, um, another way is, consider the gift of hospitality. So I enjoy having people over and having people come into my home and cooking and that type of thing. I know that's not for everybody or they don't have maybe the space or whatever, but if you do that too is so encouraging for some people and it speaks care and love to them to be invited into someone's home. It's nice to meet at a restaurant, but I think it's a little bit different getting invited to their dinner table. And they took the time to make you a meal. Um, I have a sweet woman from my church and she has invited me and my kids over a couple times into her home. She makes us dinner. And especially when I was going through my divorce, it meant so much. Someone actually cares about me because when you're questioning your worth and value to have someone care enough to feed your kids and yourself, it's huge. And so um, doing that for other people, people you want to maybe establish a friendship with, and maybe even there's people in your circle or whatever that could use just some extra love and care too. And, And you don't know where that could go too, maybe a friendship at some point. A couple other things. If you have regular, maybe casual contact with people, say you see the same woman at the library every week, consider asking her if she wants coffee or something. Just, just try it. Um, If you enjoy your interactions with them, if you don't, then (laughs) 
involved at, if you have kids, if they're still at home, get involved in their school, church. I mean, there's soccer team there, you know, there's all kinds of the library. Um, here we have a lot of breweries or coffee houses. Um, so you can start volunteering and meet people that way. But the big, biggest two things I have down are smile often and have a warm kind of sunny disposition about yourself. Be loving, welcoming, and a good listener and don't judge people. Um, if you're the kind of friend you're looking for, I think you will attract positive people to you. Mm-hmm. There's a couple women in my life that I see and, oh, I just enjoy being around them. Try to emulate some of the characteristics that you see in some of your favorite people too. Right. That Those are the notes I had. That's beautiful. You know, when you... When you said the smiling thing, I just recently read, I think it was in a, a kid, it was encouraging kids in how they feel and how they can help change some of their feelings. And one of the things it said is to try to put a half smile on your face at all times. If you, you know, whenever you're think, whenever you think of it, it really, because apparently your body, when your body smiles, it actually affects how you feel. <laughs> and so when I read that, I was like, no. And I tried it. It does. It works. You start to think, I'm, I must be kind of happy because I've got this little smile on my face. So I would try it. Posture changes a little bit. Yes. You know, uh, there, there's really quick. There's these two women in this, in my kid's school. They're, they're uh, two moms and they're always frowning, like scowling. Yeah. And it's scary. You want to kind of run from, from those type that's just, you know, they might be the nice, I, I've never gotten close enough to know because they feel so scared. <laughs> too scary. Nice. But if you're walking around with a scowl on your face all day, it does kind of throw people off a little bit. So, yeah. Okay. Good. I wanted to say something about the friend thing, which I, I love, Kim, everything you said. And she's the best entertainer that I yes. have ever had the privilege of going into their home. So, yes. And she's a really good baker, too. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> for I have some friendships that were very close before I divorced and I desperately want those friendships still because they were so close but we think so differently now theologically uh just in many many ways because of recognizing the abuse I was in and the the theology in the church that kind of encouraged that and then just, you know, when once you get out of abuse and you begin questioning things, um, you question everything. And so I've had to learn, like a girlfriend who, who lives not too far from me, I desperately want to have coffee with her, but I know that it's not going to be good for me because I'm going to come back and that I'm not going to have that closeness anymore because we're just too distant. And so I'm focusing on finding, like Kim said, finding the newer friendships mm-hmm. than, than trying to get the old ones to be what I want them to be. Right. That, that, can, that's I, been, can I jump in on that? I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. I don't know who else is talking. I was just going to say, that's one reason why I invited you ladies over too, was um, women that have been through similar, in some ways, similar uh, stories and backgrounds because I know Natalie and I talked about this a little bit when I first presented the idea to her because we all have probably lost some of those friendships 
And it was really kind of scary for me to go out and invite all of you because some of you I hadn't even met in person. Um, but in, in, but don't be afraid, I guess, to put yourself out there and, and you might end up with a no. Um, and that's okay. You can try again another time, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not worth it. It's just, maybe it didn't work out. I just encourage just, just try it. Um, if you get several no's, then move on to somebody else that happened to me and okay, they don't want to hang out, but I was so blessed by all of you women coming out. That's just one example of, um, putting yourself out there. It is scary, but it will be worth it too. At some point it will be worth it. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Sarah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, and Kimberly, that weekend was absolutely amazing. I loved getting to know all of you guys. And it it was one of those things that stands out in my mind for the whole year. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you for putting yourself out there because it gave me and others the opportunity to kind of reciprocate and put ourselves out there. Cause like, I didn't know all of you or any of you in person before that. So that it was really awesome. It was like this snowball thing, but I just wanted to kind of dovetail on what you were saying, Rebecca, um, this whole idea, I think a lot of times on those friendships, we, we cling to friendships or other relationships that might actually be, non-beneficial out of sentimental value Mm. and I think that's it's really really common we cling to stuff we cling to people and those kind of things out of past sentimental value even if they're not beneficial and they're not healthy for us right now so like our um, (laughs) ex-husbands like like ex-husbands like best friends from ex-husbands like people who helped keep you in an oppressive abusive structure or system and I think one of the things that I have been learning so much from this book, When to Walk Away, that we've all kind of like been looking at and reading, um, is that Jesus knew when to respect that somebody else was not at the same level and just let them walk away. If they, if they are not going to be building something up and they're not ready to hear things that will lead them out of where they are, leave it be because it's not good for our mental health. So for me, something that I have had to learn is, am I keeping either this item or am I keeping this friendship and like chasing this friendship because of sentimental value or because it's actually healthy for me? Mm. And if it's not actually healthy for me, let it go, which is huge. It kind of ties into some of the stuff that I have in my notes that I want to share later, but back to you, Natalie, I just wanted to dovetail on that, that whole idea that we like cling to sentimental stuff, even when it's bad for us sometimes. And yeah. I was going to say, that doesn't mean you X them out of your life. I just don't go have coffee with her anymore because it's not going to be great right. for me. If I run into her at the supermarket, I still love her to death. I just will never have that relationship with her again. I- I should clarify that I'm talking about like specific investment in something like where you're chasing it, not necessarily being rude to people. I'm I'm not saying go be a jerk. I'm just saying that, that deep. Yeah. You guys know what I mean? (laughs) Well, actually, Sarah, why don't you share what you, what you were, what you wanted to share on the podcast today? Sure. Okay. So well, I, I was kind of, I had three or four different things running around in my head and I kind of wanted to see what everybody else was thinking and niche into whichever fit with everyone. But 
you know, one of the things that I think stands out for me based is kind of blends with what everyone else has been focusing on. Um, if y'all are like me, you can start to feel guilty about stuff that you're not doing that other people do really well. Um, for example, I went out to the mailbox this morning to get yesterday's mail because I was too tired to go get it yesterday. Cause remember I was like giving myself a crash day and I was in bed with chips and queso and Netflix yesterday. <laughs> I did not make it to the mailbox. I just gave myself permission to be lazy all day, which I didn't used to be able to do that. So that is something new that I'm learning to be able to do in itself. But anyway, so I go to the mailbox this morning and there's this, there's this gorgeous card, Christmas card from somebody. And I got this immediate stab of guilt because people expect Christmas cards, right? And I didn't send any Christmas cards. I haven't sent any Christmas cards for like four years, um, five, seven, I don't even remember. But every year that I get gorgeous picture Christmas cards, I used to do that when my kids were little, back when I was in my abusive marriage and I was the pastor's wife, there were a ton of things I did because it was expected. Mm-hmm. And I did things like, not like Kim, you were talking about hospitality and girl, I have to say you have a phenomenal gift of hospitality as a way to connect with people's hearts and serve people. Um, I'm a hardcore introvert, even though I can talk on podcasts. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't, I, I, I spent years as a pastor's wife doing the big hospitality thing because it was expected of me. Um, not because it's my soul and gives me great joy. And Kim, I think at least my observation of you is something that feeds your soul and gives you great joy. And I, I loved watching you be so hospitable. Um, and I really applaud and admire and I like hospitality too, but Part of my trauma for me is having done so much of it simply out of rigid sets of expectations. So for me, one of the things that I have changed and that I will continue to reassess in the new new year is um, what is my motivation for doing something that I feel obligated to do? Is it because of someone's external arbitrary expectations or is it because it's actually the best thing for me, the best thing for my family and something God wants me to do? So for example, when I used to, in my past life, have people over, I did the full on nice China, multiple plates, bowls, three course, four course meal. And I did that because that was expected of me by the person I was married and anything less was not representing the family. Well, now there is absolutely nothing wrong with a gorgeous table and a fantastic dinner, but you know what? People come to my house. Now you get whatever I've got and it's on paper plates. (laughs) And for me, and, and and I, I see your thumbs up, Rebecca, for me, it's not that I don't know how to cook and I don't know how to bake. And it's not that I don't love a well-lit table. I was raised by a Southern mama in a Southern culture. And I know how to do all of those things. But for me, that is something for my mental health. Because when I am done with the meal, I would rather sit there and talk to you than mentally stressing about how I'm going to have to stay up late after I put my kids to bed to wash the mountain dishes. 
And so for me, that's a choice I've made intentionally to let go of a sense of obligation to arbitrary external expectations. And I think that in any situation, whether you are out of an abusive environment or you are still in an abusive environment, that's something that we can do in micro steps as we enter the new year. Mm. Is this thing, whatever it is, is it because I assume other people expect it of me? So I'm trying to live up to those expectations or is it something that brings me great joy and that increases and enhances my or my children's mental health and well-being? And being able to get to the point of kind of cocooning down to the essentials and letting stuff go if it's just arbitrary external expectations and just releasing those is super freeing. So, you know, like you can fly freer, Natalie, I think you are not trying to flap your wings while carrying the burden of other people's expectations. So um, some of my tips for the new year is just to assess, like even in small things, if it saps your time and energy, is it really actually necessary? Mm. And, and is it something that you can live without, um, and, uh, if it's something that other people just expected, you just let it go. And then there, are the, one of the other things that I do, and I do with my kids a lot too, is whenever I'm facing a new choice, because I think every woman that's listening to this is coming from her own context, her own personality, her own set of trauma and expectations, however many children you have or don't have, we're all different. But one of the things that I wrote down was that um, I have learned to ask myself four questions when I'm making a big decision. And I actually wrote about this in one of my books. But um, the first one is, is it right? And this kind of like whittles it down when we're trying to deal with those expectations. The first one is like, is it right? And that's just a moral question. Like, is it right versus wrong? Um, And sometimes that we have to assess what we believe is right and wrong if we've been brainwashed to believe something is wrong and it's not actually wrong. So it's okay to go and ask really hard questions about the stuff that we've been told is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. But the first one is, is it right? Um, The second one is, is it best? Because sometimes things that are right are not actually best for right now. So that's kind of a time and place question, not a right or wrong question. Is it right? Is it best? The third one is, do I really want it? And one kind of cuts both ways because it's like, do I want it? But do I want the, the fallout too? Like I may want a fifth piece of cake, but I really don't want the sore throat tomorrow. So I know I actually don't want the fifth piece of cake. Um, so it's kind of like a cause effect question. <laughs> and you have to ask both of the bookends on that. It's a double-edged sword. Um, and, and then the fourth one is, does it align with who I want to be? Because there's some things that are just like, it's, it's perfectly morally acceptable. It might be great for right now. It's not a time to do it. Um, it's something that I could really enjoy doing and there's no bad negative things, but you know what? That thing is just really not aligned with where I want to head in life. It, it, it still isn't going to make my top priority cut. And I've found a ton of freedom in whatever choices I have to make um, by following that little, that little question formula. Yeah, and 
That's very helpful. It, it, something that's simple enough. Like I started teaching my kids when they were four or five. Well, is it right? No, mama. Okay. Well then you don't go any further. Well, is it right? Yes. Okay. Well, is it best? Was this the right time for it? No, mama. Okay. Well, and you can start teaching kids cause and effect, like even really, really young yeah. so that they have some kind of like framework for making wise choices. Yep. Which is hard, especially if you're growing up in a confusing home. Yes. Anyway, so those, those were my thoughts. Um, moving into the new that. year. Thank you, Sarah. Those are really, really good. That's good stuff. Rachel, you're the last one. I have so enjoyed sitting here listening to all of these wonderful ladies bringing their own unique perspectives and gifts because it is such a blessing. I love these. I love each of you ladies. Um, so I just want to build on what you guys said about um, making the decisions that um, based on uh, like getting really internalized about why you want to do them. And, and those questions that you said, Sarah, are really valuable. And I wrote them down because I want to start using them. But to, um, I think to summarize that, it's really important that we be intentional about getting really, really honest with ourselves. And for me, this is really important because I have lived, I lived in denial um, for 14 years with my husband about who he was and how he treated me. And um, I was able to really fool myself to a very deep level. And what that resulted in is I have no idea, like a lot of times about how I even really feel about things. And so checking in with myself and, and trying to figure out um, where I'm at and, and actually having an opinion is actually sort of revolutionary because a lot of times, um, my opinion was whatever someone was, was going to make someone else happy. And, um, so that's my goal for myself for this new year is just being really intentional and taking responsibility for myself and stewarding, um, my own life and not allowing other people to come in and tell me who I am and, and what I want to be in. Thank goodness. I'm not in a situation where, I, I have to deal with that on a daily basis. But to be honest, a lot of times my insides still, still feel like that. It still is ringing in my life. And um, that can be discouraging because it's almost like every day I have to wake up and make a decision that it is my life. It is my day. These minutes, these, you know, these next minutes, these next hours are something that I have to choose to shape. And God will be with me as I make those decisions, but it is mine. He's not pulling my puppet strings. Um, whatever happens, I, I don't have to have a fatalistic attitude about life. I choose it. I, I um, decide where to go. And it starts with honesty about, you know, what's going on with me, what my day looks like, what I need to get done instead of just living off in the clouds and hoping that the day goes well. Yeah. That's all I have to share. Can I, can I add something to that real quick or do, are we out of time? Nope. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, I was in a Facebook group and they were, a lady was literally asking very similar questions to what Rachel just talked about. And all of these Christians chimed in with the response, just fall on Jesus, just rest in God, just, and which is a great idea, except there's no action to that. Excuse me while I Right. <laughs> so um, as much as combating that old way of thinking, part of that was, well, I guess God's just going to have to take care of it. No, 
God gave us a brain. God gave us logic. God gave us two hands. God gave us two feet. We can make the changes for ourselves. And um, I was thinking December is normally very depressive for me because I tend to think back on the year and, and for a moment I'll think I haven't come as far as I thought I wanted to come, but then I'll be like, but the glass is half full. We're better than last year. So we'll, you know, make new goals. But um, I think the one thing I didn't think five or six years out, I thought a year out, I would be where I'm at five or six years out. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I wish I would have had a better perspective of understanding that once you get divorced, it will take a lot of time for life to become what you kind of envision your life to be. And my life is more than I ever envisioned now in in some areas I didn't even think about, but in other areas, it, it took years and years and years of dealing with a lot of fallout and it doesn't happen overnight, but as, as I try to look back and, and make a list of, but what did change? What did progress? What made a difference? And then encourage myself. So that's all. That, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to end on actually. And I, I just was, I've noticed this in the flying free group. There's been some people who are either newly divorced or they're in the divorce process or actually there's been a couple of them that are, have been divorced for a while that are coming back and going, Whoa, I thought that I I thought that life would be so much better by now. And, um, I I have a local woman too, that I've been helping her divorce is finalized now, but she's also just in the thick of rebuilding. I mean, it, it would be like, uh, I remember a tornado come going through, I think it was Arkansas I had a friend at the time who lived there and it hit her home and completely demolished her home. Mm. And, um, she, you know, she showed me before and after pictures. It'd be like that. It'd be like, okay, so now your divorce is final. You've got a home that's leveled to the ground. And there's no trees around anywhere for miles and miles. And now, and you want your life to be normal all of a sudden it's not, there's a, it's not going to be normal after something like that catastrophic. It's going to take a few years to get that. And it's never going, your life is never going to be the same again. Your home is never going to look the same again. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. I really think that we grow inside as human beings. We grow to the more Closer, we grow closer into the image of Jesus Christ. For one thing, we are stronger. We are more courageous. We're more equipped to help other people. We're more equipped to see truth more quickly and lies more quickly, which also translates into a better decision-making process in our future. We just grow to maturity, right? Right. And um, and so for the, in that way, it's so so much better. But um, as far as the logistics of life, that's going to be, you know, the financial logistics, the where you live, the, your, your job satisfaction, um, all, your, you know, how fulfilled you're, feel, you're feeling at any given moment, dealing with your children and all of their fallouts, depending, they can be in their 30s and, or they can be in their grade school years and there's going to be fallout in their lives too that you've got to worry about. So um, and then navigating new relationships and possibly even a new 
romantic relationship. Th- th- this is huge. And, and for me, it was letting go of that ideal of what I thought, you know, how in the bad marriage, you're working so hard to make it better. And so you have this idea, this idea of this ideal. And I just had to realize it will never be that way. And that's okay. It's totally okay. I will be a divorced woman. I will not have a family where, you know, we have great, great grandkids coming around and, you know, that whole picture, my, my life looks messier, but it's way happier. Yes. Yes. And I think every single one of us would say that, that we, our lives look a lot messier, but we are all a lot happier. So um, with that, happy new year to all of our listeners. And hopefully these ladies will come back on with me in the future on a more regular basis. And we'll be able to hear from them as 2020 unfolds. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode of the Flying Free podcast is made financially possible by the Private Flying Free Education and Support Community, which offers courses, workshops, live coaching, and more for women of faith seeking hope and healing from emotionally and spiritually abusive relationships and communities. Find out more at joinflyingfree.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, fly free.